Welcome everyone back to another episode of Real Talk with Brendan Bartik. Uh, so today I am very honored to have two amazing guests joining our episode. Uh, with the Rage Real Estate team, we have Josh Larson, Kevin Root. These two gentlemen have sold over 500 residential transactions in the Denver metro area. They have just uh, last year alone sold over 100 homes with just the two of them in one assistant. And what I really want to dive into with them is they've done it all with class, with a, a really strong moral compass. And in addition to that, they are fathers. They are men of faith. They are leaders in our community. Um, so I couldn't be more thrilled to be able to discuss real estate, um, You know everything that we're going to want to know about how to build a business that you can be proud of and still be very successful. And so Josh and Kevin, thank you so much for joining us. I'd like to start out with the both of you just telling me a little bit about Rage Real Estate yourselves and how you got here. Okay, I'll start off. Um, I got started in the business in 2007. That's when I got my license. Right when everything crashed, and uh, it took a few years of, I didn't, I didn't really know how to start a real estate business. I joined a brokerage where there wasn't a lot of coaching available. And so I had a desk in an empty office and had to figure out how to make a go of this thing. And so I just built a database. I knew that was something that was important, built a database of people and just started calling them regularly and treating them like clients from the get-go. Uh, they had no idea that all of my clients had never bought a single house from me. I just called them clients and uh, started regularly communicating with them and talking to them and keeping them updated about the real estate market and engaging with them. And slowly but surely over the next few years, it, it started to work out, uh, started to close some transactions and get some traction and uh, got to a point where for three years in a row, I hit my own personal ceiling of what I could do and kind of keep track of everything and maintain the level of service that I liked. And that was about 20 transactions a year, actually. I know most people can do 30, but I'm low capacity. So 20 was my ceiling for three years in a row. And I knew after that third year, if I was going to grow beyond that ceiling, I needed to hire somebody that could help me build the systems that I knew I needed and run those systems so that I could get out and do what I should be doing. And so I knew Kevin really well. Uh, Kevin had actually helped me earlier on before I hired him. I hired him in 2014, but before that he had helped me for free, just deliver flyers, uh, to neighbors doors. And we would talk about business and I'd buy him coffee and that was it. Um, so then in 2014, I reached out to him. He was working for the better business bureau and I knew the way he operated. Um, I knew he was kind of the opposite of me in some really good ways. He's very systematic and I'm not very detail oriented. He is. Um, and so I knew that I needed his skill set if I was going to grow the business. So took him out to lunch, offered him a job and he took it. Um, I love it. And, and yeah, Kevin, and, and Kevin, was there any hesitation there? I mean, were you looking at it going, Hey, I got this gig, uh, you know, it's going pretty good. Everything's great, but maybe I, uh, I'm taking a little bit of risk here, jumping into a whole different industry. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, cause it did not go, I mean, it didn't go well. I liked Josh, but, uh, <clears throat> it was about eight months in, uh, and we were out of money and there were, 
And uh, so Josh just, he's like, Hey, can we meet tomorrow morning? You know, so we met in his garage, which is his home office. And he said, we've got enough money for like one more round of paychecks and then nobody's getting paid. And uh, I just felt like I should tell you that now. And the, so dark, wanna, the dark times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you want to put your application, build an update, your LinkedIn, go for it. Um, and I just told him, I said, Hey man, I'm, I'm in this, I'm in this too. I don't have a plan B. Uh, so we just locked ourselves in his garage and just started going through our phone, calling everybody we knew. Cause we didn't, that's all, that's all we, that's all we knew how to do. And, uh, by the end of the year, we doubled, we ended up doubling the business, but that first, that first six months did not go. I think how either of us thought it would. Well, and then, mm-hmm. and so, so looking at it, then you put yourself in that situation and it's kind of a, Hey, look, we're burning the ships where there's no, there's no going back. Uh, I know that motivates uh, a lot of people. Was there assistance in trying to figure out, hey, we need a plan? Because it sounds like what happened was that like so many of us uh, agents, we, we, we fumble around and then either it goes one of two ways. Uh, somebody comes into our life or a mentorship or something or, or coaching or guidance, or we kind of get out of the business. Was there, what entered that, that delicate time that said, we're taking the path of success and not going out of business. What changed? Um, I think I can speak for me. What changed for me is just knowing that uh, I had somebody in Kevin who was in it as much as I was in it, who was demonstrating like a true ownership mentality. Uh, We didn't have a coach at that time. And so I was relying on like old Brian Buffini DVDs to try to figure out how best to communicate with clients. And that was it. And so it was really, for me, it was just the camaraderie of having somebody that was actually fully in this thing um, that allowed us to turn the corner. Love it. Go ahead. I think, I think for me, there's a little bit of ego. Sometimes you look around and if that person can make it, there's (laughs) no reason we can't make it. And so when I was, I was watching YouTube videos, right? I watched the Buffini DVDs. I was like, everybody who makes it in this industry is basically preaching the same message about how you do this. And the only difference I can see is some people do it and some people don't. And so that's, I think it, we hit rock bottom there and then decided, are we really going to do this or not? And then we just started executing relentlessly. And that's what turned things around, I think. Yeah. And that word. I think that's the other thing too, is a lot of people get stuck in the analysis paralysis. Should I do this? Should I do that? And it's just wake up, do the work, go home. Right. And it's not sexy. It's not glorious. It's not like you see on TV. It's, it's really boring and tedious at at best. I think what people realize. So, so looking at that, then, then in that upswing, that hockey stick, and and I've been to some of your amazing classes and I know you're having another class this uh, coming Wednesday, which we're going to make all this information available to everyone. But in your classes, I remember this really specific slide of this kind of hockey stick effect so you woke up, you went in the garage, you guys said, you know what, look, we're going to, we're going to learn. First of all, it sounded like you had to, even though it's old school Buffini, you know, I was, I was doing similar. I was watching Mike Ferry videos at old school stuff. So you said, all right, there's some fundamental principles. And especially with uh, Buffini being very much by referral. And I know you guys have, I think it's something like 85% of your business is by referral or previous mm-hmm. or past business, right? Which is amazing. Again, 85%. What were those fundamental principles you learned from even those old school things about how to build a business by referral? Um, old school things that we learned was for me, um, treating people 
with value, like really assigning them a sense of value. And I think that was instilled in me early on back before I was even in real estate, when I was in the banking industry, when I read a little tiny book called Raving Fans. Um, and as I read that book, I was like, this is the sort of, I was not, I was in a sales position, but I wasn't a good salesperson by the classic definition. But when I read that little book, I was like, this is the sort of experience I want to provide for people. And I think if I can do this, then I'll have enough business. I'll be fine. And it'll, it'll take care of itself. So really just trying to create um, a memorable, positive experience for clients and treating them with dignity throughout the transaction. I think that was a big one for me. And then maintaining communication and connection with them over the years to come so that it's not just they have a great experience and then you're done with them. But for the next 10, 20 years, you're in touch with them and you're their realtor. Right. Which sounds, which sounds like what you think you should do, right? That's like, hey, that should be nice to people. It's not take. rocket science. It's it's <laughs> not it's not rocket science. But you see, so many people, you know, really don't go that path. So, so, so looking at that and just saying, okay, building this this moral compass. One of the things that that I think, especially in our current world climate, that uh, is is talk, you know, again, all of the the political things and all of these things. With the both of, of you, and, I, and I, I really want people to understand this, that talk to us a little bit about how your faith, your, your morals, and your religion, uh, and your beliefs, I don't want to say religion, but your, your beliefs also help guide your business and how you operate on a daily basis. What, what is that? When I say faith in real estate, I, I think that's a really interesting term, faith and real estate. Is it two separate things? Is it, is it, how, how does that work in your world? Yeah, I don't think it's possible to separate those two things, no matter what faith you come from or you identify with. I don't think you, it's possible. Some people may think that they do a pretty good job of it, but I think it's going to affect the way that you operate and work, or it should, if your faith is really a value to you. So for us, we come from a Christian faith. Um, and so I think fundamental to Christians is we follow the teachings and practices of Jesus. Um, and he actually has a lot to say about how you should conduct yourself in this world of business. Uh, he expects you to treat people with dignity and value just the same way that he did. He says one of the key things that people should know about you as a Christian is your love for people, which is unfortunate to see what Christians have become known for out there in our culture today, which is a lot of some, Christians are, some. yeah, yeah. <laughs> just some. some Christians are known for what they are against and what they hate, and they're not known for love. So that's a, that's a, that's a serious thing, a significant thing, uh, that we treat our clients with respect and love and dignity. And, um, but then, I mean, the Bible has a lot to say. I mean, God actually cares about how you compensate your employees that matters to him. And we believe that. And so when it comes time for us to pay our assistant and for me to pay Kevin, I fundamentally believe that God cares. He cares that I do this fairly and generously and um, so it factors into all of those, all of those sorts of decisions. 
Yeah. And, and, and I think that's really interesting. So, so when, when we're, we're talking about growing a business and business decisions and, and money and all of that, when, when you're looking at your, your moral fiber and, and like I said, you, and you know, when I was talking to Kevin earlier, you were saying it's kind of unconscious at times. He goes, it's just kind of what we do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in, in looking at that, have there been situations that have come up, um, where it's been tested, right? Like I know in our business, it, it, we get, we come across a, a variety of interesting people, right? Has there been a time where you were like, oh, man, like this is, you know, turn the other cheek, boy, I'm, I'm turning both cheeks, right? Like, <laughs> like, like, has there been any time that comes to, to recollection where you're like, it was really tested in your moral fiber? Yeah. Kevin, I'll let you speak to that yeah. one. I've, I've talked a lot. <clears throat> Yeah, I'll, I'll answer and then maybe I'll tee you up uh, with one of our <laughs> with one of our mottos we have. But I'll I'll talk because Josh won't say this for himself. But they're like, for example, he met with some clients he needed to sell, um, and it was a daughter and it was an elderly mother. And the reason Josh got the listing was because what they told him was you were the agent who spoke to our mother mm. and like treated her with respect. I think you can go into that and say, oh, stealing candy from a baby or, you know, there's all sorts of ways, you know, like this is low hanging fruit in that regard. Or you sit there and you say, I'm going to treat this client with respect of both the daughter and the mother. And you're not just caring about maybe who the decision maker, who has the power in the conversation. Um, And so when we talk about the way that those things just happen, I don't know that Josh set out to do that, but the way that when you walk into a room, the way that you look at people and say both of these people are of equal value and dignity, I think that's the way people can people can pick up on that when it's consistent. Um, and so maybe that's so so sometimes maybe that is is tested. It's easier to do that. Um, but I, Josh, I don't know if you want to talk about the do it right or make it right, or our clients don't pay for our education. <laughs> some yeah. of those motto, some of those mottos that no, we have. Please share those because mm-hmm. I think it really would help people understand your your founding principles. Because I think you have you have a, a variety of them that are more significant now than probably ever. Yeah, we do often say to each other, "Do it right or make it right." So mm-hmm. we want to be excellent at what we do, and so we train ourselves. We practice real estate. Uh, and so we try to learn and do better every single transaction, but inevitably we're not perfect. We're going to make mistakes. And so if we don't get it right, we will make it right. And so if that means we're buying somebody a furnace because we didn't tell them that they should inspect it, or we messed up somehow, then we're buying the furnace. We say, the second thing we say to that is our clients will never pay for our education. Hmm. So if we're looking at a situation and we're like, what, what should we have done differently? If there is an answer to that question, that means this is something that we learned from. This was education for us. And so we're going to pay the tuition on it, whether that looks like a furnace or a dryer or a sewer scope or whatever. They're not going to pay for our education. We'll pay for it. I love that. So our clients will never pay for our education. And, and I think that's the hard thing in real estate is we're going to make mistakes. We're going to we're, There's going to be something missed on a, on a contract sometimes. But what you're saying is, is you guys are owning that right? Taking full ownership of it, responsibility. And I think that's, that's why your clients love you. And, and speaking of that, you know, in, even looking at the, the name rage. Uh, so, so I know you were talking about the raving fan book. Uh, was there some sort of tie between the two? Where did, where did rage birth from? Because rage and 
faith and religion <laughs> and great guys. Like I always, I always look at that. I'm like, I'm like, man, like I just, I think of immediately I go to rage against the machine. Right. I'm like, that was yeah. really even like what they were probably going for. <laughs> yeah. So can you, can you speak a little bit to us about, yeah. Where, where did, where, how was rage uh, come in? How did it come into existence? Yeah. Um, we hired a marketing team to help us with some branding actually after joining Keller Williams. And I do want to talk about that because coming over to Keller Williams was where it was the first time where we were actually taught how to look at our business and treat our business like an actual business and what that meant. Um, and one of those things was branding, uh, market yourselves. And so we hired a marketing team, uh, to help us come up with a sort of a team name, and they came up with a bunch of different ideas, but they all sort of blended into the background for us and didn't really stand out. So they took us through an exercise where we just started putting words up on a big whiteboard. And we probably had a hundred words by the time we were done. And Kevin and I both enjoy sort of a dry, sarcastic sense of humor. <laughs> and so uh, yes, I was occasionally, <laughs> they would come up with a word like integrity. And I would try to, I'd be on my phone with a thesaurus looking up like, the antithesis of that and just throw that word up there too. And one of the words I threw up initially as a joke was the word rage. Um, and when we were all done, we each, Kevin and I each got five votes for words that really stood out to us. And for me, the word that stood out from all of the words was the word rage for some reason. It was just, it just stood out. It was just different because uh, nobody, yeah, it didn't blend in with the background of what everybody else says their business is about. So I used all my votes, I think, on that one or maybe four of them. And then Kevin ended <laughs> up doing the same thing um, with his votes. So we got to the end and we told the marketing guys, if you guys are good at marketing, you should be able to. They were like, this is a strong word. We're like, well, if you're good, <laughs> you should yeah. be able to make it make it work. So uh, they went out and did some test marketing with it. They were nervous that we may lose some clients over it. And they were like, before you commit to this, let's find out kind of what the general populace thinks of it. And they said, you may lose a little bit, a few clients who just don't like the word, but most of the people thought it sounded kind of fun. So no, I, I love it. And, and, and go ahead, Kevin, you were going to say something. Uh, I was gonna say, the, the funny test was we were, we were sitting outside some restaurant that's now closed down, down Colorado Springs uh, with scotch and cigars, I believe. And the first time we had the meeting, we, we ran the name by the bartender there and we're like, what do you think of this name? And he was uneasy about it. Well, we walked in like 60 days later and he looked at us and he said, rage. Yeah. And those are the only yep. two times we've seen him in our entire life. And then it was like, like it or not, people don't forget it. Right. So, yeah. so, it sticks. Yeah. It sticks. So, the, so they told us, as long as you're comfortable explaining this to people for the next 30 years, I think it'll work. And, <laughs> well, so, and it did. It did honestly tap into something for Kevin and I that we had expressed and felt, which was a general frustration with what we see out there how easy it is to get a real estate license and go out and start representing people in real estate sure. transactions and actually costing them thousands of dollars, but then still somehow getting a five-star Zillow review. So <laughs> Kevin and I were frequently frustrated. Like this agent uh, did a bad job, like cost his clients money and they'll never know about it and he'll still get great reviews. And so sort of it, it did tap into this frustration with the status quo. So you talk about rage against the machine and some of that, I mean, probably does <laughs> exist. There is a dissatisfaction with what's generally perceived as a five-star rating that really, if they knew the behind the scenes of it, they wouldn't be giving their agents those ratings. 
Right. And that, was one of, and, and, and that was one of your driving principles, right? Is you were, you were saying to yourselves, um, Hey, look, the, the industry isn't really producing quality and you guys mm-hmm. really set out to do that. And not only have you, have you really accomplished it at the highest level, but now you're teaching others to do it. And when we talk about your, your team structure and how you guys operate, you know, there's, there's so many different ways to do this business. And me and you talked about it so many times, right? You can build a big team. You can, you can go deeper. You can go, you know, stay focused on what you're wanting to do. You can focus on quality of life. Talk about how you sell a hundred plus homes a year, create people that absolutely love your, your company and have a life. How is that possible with just, just three people um, to be able to maintain that? And cause some people will hear this a hundred plus homes and they're going, Oh, so yeah, these guys work 90 hours a week. I mean, there's, there's just no, no way to physically do that. How, how have you leveraged what you're doing? Yeah, there's, there've been a few ways. Um, when I started out and it was just me, even at 20 transactions, there were times where I was maxed out and I felt like I was uh, not serving my family well. Uh, and so early on, I tried to maintain Tuesdays as a day off where I would take the kids. My wife was helping me from the beginning of my career, like pay the bills. She was doing daycare. And then she and I were cleaning office buildings together. And she was helping me with pop by stuff. She'd bake cookies for clients and I'd go pass them out. And so she was heavily involved. And on Tuesdays, I would try to take the day and just spend the day with the kids or with the whole family. Um, But when you're by yourself, you've got to work weekends, you're showing houses on weekends. And um, so I just, I tried to always be cognizant. And fortunately I had a, a circle of friends around me who were fathers and who were watching out for me and for my marriage. Mm. And so they would, they would actually talk to Katie and say, Hey, how is it going with Josh? Their wives would talk to Katie and say, are you, are you guys getting enough time together? And so that was a really good check uh, for me to kind of keep me in the, in between the lines on uh, not getting so swamped with work that I was leaving my wife and kids in the dust. And was that supported by the the church and the community, or are these just random dads? Or or yeah, these because that's the other big piece of this, you know, you know, faith and community. I mean, is it is it really is a village, right? I know, especially really with what Kevin does, it's 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 a it's a village. So yeah, t- talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, these were fellow pastors of ours who were engaged in starting a church and they were they were launching a nonprofit while I was launching a business. And so I was Katie and I were doing the same thing for them at the same time. And Kevin and Sarah were involved with them, too. And so we were all keeping an eye out for each other and for the health of our lives individually, but then also the health of our marriages and families. Uh, and so there was I mean, that was a very powerful, strong, protective presence to have in my life. Because it's easy. I mean, we've all experienced it. It's easy to get sucked into business and success and get so enamored by that, that you leave the most important aspects of your life in the dust. And we just, from the beginning, didn't, we're committed to not letting that happen. And so then when I hired Kevin, I told him, uh, my wife and I met with Kevin and his wife, Sarah, and we, we were up in Estes park as we were kind of laying this out for them. And we said, this is a priority for us. We will always be a family owned family run business. But Kevin, so elaborating on that, basically you guys focused on family first to build this business. 
right? And and is there like is there like a quarterly meeting you guys get together and go hash this out? Is there because it's it's really not easy to have a scoreboard for that, right? To say like, hey, we're we're not being dirt bags. Like, how do you make sure you're you're staying on track to to take care of everybody? Yeah, I I, I think the two ways that we do it is part of what was established early on was like like Sarah, Sarah can, you know, talk with Katie's wife and it's, and it's part of the, the sort of the metrics in a degree when we're looking at things. Um, it's not just, are we selling a lot of houses or how many Zillow reviews do we have? But it's also, you know, how, how's your, how's your family life doing? Are you, do you have the, the margin you need? It was something uh, I noticed when I came in, when I came into the industry that maybe you become uh, inoculated to it when you're in it. But part of, it seemed like every person who got on stage, every person who had some sort of platform, part of their business growth story was that their personal life absolutely like fell apart, whether it was broken <laughs> yeah. engagements, broke, yeah. you know, broken marriages, substance abuse. It was just like, Hey, we started the business, then it took off. And then this happened and it ruined my entire life. But now here I am and we're back selling this many homes. And she, I started to hear that. And I was like, gosh, I that doesn't sound <laughs> like how many, how many homes is worth like losing, you know, your entire personal life falling apart. And so, um, and so that became a value for us and just making sure that it is part of our conversations. It's not like a quarterly thing systematically in that regard, apart from what's your time off. Uh, like I've already, this year I've already gotten the email from Josh's wife about here's our planned family vacations for the year. So plan the business calendar accordingly. Yeah. Um, and, and, and we and were just talking like that. about that, right? The, the Stephen Covey, I, I, I speak to this quite a bit about, you know, the, the glass vase and putting the big rocks in first, right? Mm -hmm. Then little rocks, then the sand. And that's not always easy to do. What I think happens a lot of times, great, Josh is back. What happens a lot of times in real estate is, is we let the sand take over the life and then there's no way to wedge the big rocks back in, you know, and, and calendars, everything. So yeah, figuring out how to get those, those family vacations planned, then filling in the, the educational things that you want to accomplish around it. And then, okay, here's, here's when we're going to work. And here's when we're here, we're going to be really effective because we know that we're going to get these breaks that are coming up instead of work, 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 work. And then okay, I'm exhausted. Let's, let's go to Vegas or let's go to Cancun or whatever people do. It's so much more peaceful to have it kind of, kind of pre-planned and, and not so stressful. So, so, so looking at that, uh, and I think one of the, one of the things I think is really fascinating is I was just speaking to someone about both of you guys uh, a few uh, days ago in regards to how can you both take off a week of vacation at the same time and not have the business fall apart or more than yeah. that. So what happens when you guys go away or go on vacation and you're not, you're not, you know, taking the calls and all of that. What does that, what does that setup look like? If, if I'm an agent and I'm at 20 deals right now, Josh, and, and, and I'm going, you know what, man, I, I really want to take a vacation, but I'm scared. And my wife's probably going to leave me soon if I don't do something or significant other or whatever it is, what do I do to not screw this up? I would say, first of all, make sure that you're in the sort of office environment where you've got collaborative, a collaborative spirit with the agents in your office and not a competitive spirit. And you can trust somebody from your office to take over your business for a week. If you're not in that kind of office, get in one. 
because it's absolutely critical or it doesn't work. So in our case, when we're both going to be gone for a week or two weeks, we actually hire somebody. We just hired Miranda uh, over Thanksgiving, and then we hired her again over Christmas to sit in the driver's seat of rage while we were taking time with our families. Um, and it worked out beautifully for us. And, and how can you, a lot of people go, but man, that's a lot of trust I'm putting into somebody. Is there, is there a, a molding process? Is there, what, what does that look like to be like, Miranda, here's the keys and I'm, I'm out, right? What does that look like? Yeah, this was a, go ahead, Kevin. Yeah. Um, so this, this came up a couple of years ago because the, what happened is I think anybody, once you start to be good and get some momentum with something, you get more and more clients um, and lest people think that we kill it in our 10 out of 10 with our work-life balance all the time. Uh, I was like, like a zero, <laughs> you know, and my wife would have this conversation. She's like, you've, you've worked every day for the last 30, 30 plus days, you right. know, like this is not fun. And it I goes by know. like that. You don't realize yeah. it. It's like, yeah, you know, showing pops up and you got to go out, take care of it. Short notice. So, so Josh and I brainstormed, like, this is not sustainable because hopefully the business doesn't slow down at all. It's only going to grow and we got to start figuring something out. So we, we just recognized we have expertise and we have opportunities for new agents. New agents need reps. They need to be out showing homes um, meaningfully. They want open houses um, they need some sort of encouragement group environment. So, so we went to the coaches in our office. We went to anywhere there's new agents, and we said, "Who are the, who are the, the, the sharp newcomers?" Um, and we offered them an opportunity. We said, "We we want you to help. We want you to build your business." But in the meantime, we could use some help and we think we can make it worth your while. So we started, you know, kind of a monthly mentoring group. Um, they got first dibs on our open houses. We intentionally trained them on how to show a home beyond just like I tell people, if the only value you bring is, you know, the four digit code and they don't, you're going to mm. go out of business really fast. Mm. So how do you show a home meaningfully so that your contracts aren't falling apart all the time at inspection? Um, because you didn't notice the, the home was falling in two pieces, you know, cracked right down the back. Um, and well, so, and Kevin, and Kevin, just cause I want to, yeah. I want to highlight that part. I think that's one of the biggest things that is overlooked as real estate professionals is you get a license, you pay a couple hundred bucks, get a license or whatever it is now. I don't know how much it is, but a couple hundred bucks you, you, and this is what you were saying, the difference between great agent level of service and okay level agent level of service. And all of a sudden, somebody, you know, wants to buy a house and you go out and show your first house. You've never shown a house. You don't know, you know, you know, I, I do a, a lot of role play with agents and I'll ask them questions like, how does a boiler work? You know, it's one of my favorite ones to catch them off guard. They're like, a what? Uh, you know, how, how, you know, what would you do if you saw this in a home? What does this mean? And a lot of people in real estate, little secret here, never owned a home, never mm -hmm. owned a home. And they're sitting there and they're like, I'm in my studio apartment showing a 5,000 square foot home. And they're like, so what do you think about this? And they're like, be okay like let's see you know that crack is that's nothing <laughs> crack schmack the right? subway tile is awesome yeah, yeah beautiful exa subway tile. yes exactly radon oh yeah no uh, that, that's totally safe yeah whatever it might be so yeah i think that's such a really cool thing that you guide people through this so so in this um mentorship program or you got you call it something don't you what do you guys call it we started calling it an, an apprenticeship. Apprenticeship. Yeah, That's yeah. right. Right. All right. Mm -hmm. So with that apprenticeship, so so 
when do you get to the level of feeling comfortable? Do I, what, what do I have to do to become a, a certified showing assistant with rage real estate? You've got to attend a training. Kevin was, Kevin just recently did one or is doing one. Didn't this you, Kevin? Yeah. Later afternoon. today, right? This yeah. afternoon. So you got to attend that and that'll take three or four hours. Kevin will go through several different homes with them and show them potential issues, show them what you look for when you're showing a house. Uh, so you got to go through that and there is an interview process. So we'll interview you and uh, yeah, that's pretty much, those are the two things. Oh, I love it. And, yeah. and that alone is a lot. And I'm sure there's a lot of moving pieces in there. Um, have you said no to people? Uh, yes. <laughs> um, I think there, politely, there's, I'm sure. Well, you know, it's like, Hey, we'll, we'll let you know when that next opportunity arises. And then sometimes the opportunity just never arises. And yeah, so you never have to tell them, no, they just never get the call. Yeah. But it's not the right I, fit. Right. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things when we talk about things that we learned treating the business like a business was this was another thing to hand off. And, and so these agents now help us with a tremendous amount of showings. Um, but people are not committed to you. They're committed to the standards you represent. And so if there's a massive cliff between when they meet with you for their consultation and then they meet with some hack who doesn't know how to open a lockbox, then, then it's a difference in standards. But if they meet with you, you set a standard and then all of your showing assistants meet that standard and present themselves professionally, they have knowledge, they communicate clearly, there's not a drop off and the, and the client experience does not suffer. And I think that's a big thing for new agents as the things start to build and you hand off responsibilities. Nobody can do it like I do, but they're, you have, that's an ego thing that they're not committed to you. They're committed to the standards you represent. And as long as those standards are met, your clients will be really happy. Yeah. And we've made mistakes on it too. Like we have had people be showing assistants who we call on them for the first time to go show a client a house. And there's a little bit of snow and they're like, sorry, can't make it. It's snowing. <laughs> like, okay. Well, off the list. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Off the list. The, the buyers well, don't care that it's snowing. Exactly. Well, it's, it's hard finding, you, you get a lot of people that talk the talk. I want to do this. I want to do this, but it's those people that will show up and that are dependable. And you're going, look, you need to be there. It's, you know, three o'clock on Sunday and yeah, it's a blizzard. They still want to see the house. You're going. Um, so, so taking a look at that people, what you said there a, a moment ago was very critical for, I think so many agents because the word you're dialing into is leverage. And I see so many agents just hit this brick wall time and time again of going, I can only do as many sales as I physically can do because my clients will only want me. And that's why I don't get a TC because I hired a TC once, but she was terrible or he was terrible. So now I do all my own transactions because no one can process a deal like me. I get this a lot of times where people say, well, you know, especially when I was selling, I go, I've, I don't do my own CMA. Well, Brendan, how can you not do your own CMA? Well, because I've trained someone to the standard, like you just said, Kevin, of how I want a CMA completed. And is it always perfect? No. Right. Is there going to be issues? But I'm willing to accept that for the freedom of leverage to, to be able to do that. So when you guys meet with a client or, or however the situation is in a buyer consultation setting, can you talk to a little bit about how you present this? Because so many agents ask me, well, I'd love to have a showing assistant, but 
who, how, and when do I make that introduction? And then after they're showing them the property, do I still need to go see the property to do the contract? So what does that process look like for you guys from consultation to completion? Kevin, I'll let you take it from the buy side. Yeah. Uh, so when we walk through, I have this six circles presentation that now done a bunch of time and shared it with other agents. And I know it, it's just worked well, but I, Phenomenal. but, um, but in that process, when we meet, when we meet with people, a lot of times it's about, we have to help them understand one, the process, but two, what's the value that you bring? Like, why are you even here? Um, meet, meeting with us. And so in that process, it's about helping explain the unique value that the team brings at each of those stages. And so showing you're not as a client, you're not spending big bucks that we don't earn a commission necessarily because we have availability to show homes. Right. It, yeah, it's it's understanding. We, we can each open other. a door. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Because all of a sudden, you know, you, you make an app and anybody can walk in the house and the whole real estate industry falls apart. It's like, sure. no, that's, you have to have more value than that. And so with each of those processes, helping people understand the process, then when it comes back to now for showings to ensure that we have coverage seven days a week availability, and you're not going to find the home of your dreams. And it's because it's my son's birthday, you're going to lose the house. We have a team of showing assistants that can help all across the Denver Metro and we have coverage seven days a week. That's, that's how the showing process works. And so then when the, when it's contract negotiation and all of that, Josh and I are available. That's what we do. But the, but when we break down the process and help them understand there's a unique value that comes with having multiple people available for showings and they have confidence. And as soon as they experience that and the standards are upheld, it, we've never, we've only gotten complaints and they're valid complaints when those standards are missed. And then we own that and we have to make it right. Right. And and out of the hundred plus that you sold in 2020, I, I remember you talking to me, how many out of that didn't feel comfortable with working with a showing assistant was, I think you told me two to three, what was that number? Yeah, probably. And some of those are just people that we know really well. And so we want to take them. I gotcha. Okay. Um, So, so it wasn't even really that, that there was ever really a complaint. It was just, we, you felt more so the connection to do it yourself. Yeah. No. And actually sometimes our buyers will get attached to one particular showing assistant and say, Hey, from now on, can I see houses with this person? And they're not saying, can I see houses with you? Exactly. You never know. It's it's fit, right? It's fit. Yeah. So if you wouldn't have had showing assistance last year, how many homes do you think you would have sold without that leverage point? So people can kind of gauge without and keeping the same freedom that you had. I think we were stuck at 60. I mean, 60. honestly, yeah. I think yeah. I think we'd be stuck at 60 if we wanted to maintain everything the way we like it. I hope everyone's listening to this. A 40 home increase by leveraging help and assistance, uh, showing assistance to, to, I mean, and that's, and that's massive. Now, the next question that I'm, I'm already sure I can hear people saying, how do you pay them? Why, what does that look like? What do you think is fair? Is there a different scale for different people? What, what, if I'm looking to partner with a, a showing assistant that I feel comfortable with, take them through my apprenticeship, show them how I show houses, show them my standards, how much should they make? Yeah, we do uh, 35 bucks an hour, um, which is typical what it costs to 
if you're out of town and you need somebody to show a house, we see that on our office page all the time. So that seems to be an accepted norm. And so that's what we pay them. And then we increase that over holidays. We give them time and a half, essentially on holidays. Um, I love it. Can you imagine a world where you're making $35 an hour to show houses? Like, like that's a, that's a right. job, right? Like, like I wish, I, I wish I'd have met you guys when I first started. That'd have been, that'd have been way, but I was making $8 an hour to take my, my agent's cat to the vet. Like it really was, it was awful. Um, so, so $35 an hour, time and a half on holidays. Um, and can, none can of these I, people, go ahead, Kevin. Okay, I want to speak to it real quick because this goes back to earlier when Josh was talking about compensation and just caring for people and dignity. We've been part of conversations where the the conversation is structured around what's the cheapest amount of money you can get for somebody to show up. Yep. Well, think of the talent. What's the talent you're going to attract when you're trying to pay somebody $7 to show a home? We have standards and those standards are worth paying for. And if somebody doesn't meet them, we can dismiss that person from that. Um, but I think I think that's how it's all intertwined. The conversation isn't how ch- what's the absolute cheapest pennies that we can find somebody to fill this slot. What what's it going to take to uphold these standards, and what's fair and dignifying for somebody? Absolutely, and and that's the whole thing, and that's why you know because some people were like, do you charge them per house? Right? How many homes did they show? They only showed eight houses. I'm not going to pay them $150, and it's like. Then, then have someone go out that that are going to treat your clients terribly, or not show up on yeah. time, or show up in in flip flops, or show up smelling of of four twenty Colorado weed or whatever it is, right? Like you said, like you pay at the standard of performance you want them to deliver on. Um, now, I'm sure, as in everything, people are also asking: Were there any times where? as you said before, people didn't show up. You got burned. Your clients were upset. Were there any, have you, have you ran into any, Oh, I'm sick. Agents get sick more than anything else I've seen in my life. Right. Everybody's sick all the time. I was like, before COVID, I was like, COVID really gave them the green light to get sick. Right. So have you had any issues with, with it not going so well? It's very rare that it happens. And I would say it's never happened on a 10 on the Richter scale. Uh, it's never been where clients are irate and upset with us because of it or anything like that. We have we have had no shows or like the snow call that I got. And in those cases, it's my job ultimately. And I'm not going to let the client suffer because it's snowing. So I'll go out and show the house. Um, so we've been able to avoid catastrophes. But yeah, there is a human factor to this where sometimes expectations get missed. Gotcha. But it's very rare. It's very yeah. rare. Well, well worth the revenue and income and profit of 40, so. 40 transactions, right? Totally. Of yeah. 40 transactions. Gotcha. Okay. That makes, that makes a lot of sense to me. So, so in, in looking at it, then one of the things that I really admire about the business as well is why, and me and you've had this conversation, Josh, and I, I think a lot of people would like to understand it is why not have them on your team and just have team members? Why go the showing assistant route instead of the traditional, and I hate to use the word traditional, but the traditional team route? Yeah, I've got a couple of thoughts on that. I'm sure Kevin probably does too. Just for me, where I'm at right now with the business, um, I'm looking at profitability And right now, this is a way to keep the business as profitable as I want it to be. Um, And I'm just not ready to pull the trigger on growing into a team yet. That's not to say that we never will be. 
but a couple of businesses that I respect and admire, uh, Chick-fil-A and In-N-Out Burgers, mm. both of those businesses faced enormous pressure to grow and expand and franchise rapidly. And Kevin shared a quote with me back early on where uh, I think Truett Cathy, founder of Chick-fil-A, was being pressured to grow. And he said, no, we're going to get better. And people will, if we focus on getting better, people will demand that we get bigger. And so in and out kind of took the same approach. Like they stayed in California forever and people were like, we want them in Utah. We want them in Colorado. We want them in Minneapolis. And they didn't want to mess with what they had until they had it perfect. And now they're starting to expand. And so at the Aurora location, they show up and there's a four hour wait uh, to get into, just get a burger. And it's right. not that much better than any other burger out there. Honestly, Ooh, it's you're not. Gonna cause, you're going to cause some comments on that one, I'm sure. Well, uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I've got family that uh, I've got my dad who is uh, overseeing their quality control. Mm. So I've got family interest in there. But uh, seriously, it's not. Sure, sure. It's a burger. more to it than right. just the burger, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I when I, I lived downtown, people would stand down the street for Shake Shack, and I'm like, what? Why? Like, I, I, you know, but again, it's going back to what you were talking about: standards and and quality, and um, you don't have to lose what you believe in to do what everybody else is doing all the time, right? Okay. Like, yeah, like, and and I think those are those are hard ethical questions or, 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 or principles to try to keep at any given time. And, and I've struggled with them. I've struggled, you know, trying to, to, to become a better, you know, person, leader, friend, and it's not always easy. And, and you guys, I've always kind of looked to, to you as going, I mean, wow, those are the guys that, that are, are, that are working hard, smart, and when we talk about, like you said, that word profit, and, and as you just said, why not grow the big team is you can do it so many different ways. There's yeah. not one size fits all in this business. And I hear people all the time go, man, I really want a business like theirs. 85% referral. I want to do all that. The, the, the hard thing about really understanding that though is it took time to get there. Everybody's mm-hmm. thinking, I hear every age, I'm going to make a hundred grand my first year in real estate. Cool. Here's what that plan looks like. And it's not going to be by referral. You're not going to sell enough homes by referral your first 12 months because they're like, well, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do, I'm not going to make a cold call. I'm not going to door knock. I'm not going to, you know, I want to build a business by referral. Can you speak to a little bit about how there's two different worlds there, right? Where, where, you 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 gotta still if you want to make it through like you said the, the the garage door you guys were in there looking at the garage door going we're about to be out of money what mm-hmm. what are we gonna do how how can you advise those agents out there that are going I want to build a business by referral but I've been in the business for three months what do I do yeah so Kevin and I neither one of us are in this to um sell a certain number of homes or to make as much money as we possibly can. That's not what drives us. What drives us honestly is we want jobs that we love, (laughs) that we actually enjoy. uh, And we want to provide a service that our clients love. So if we can do those two things, the numbers honestly will take care of themselves, but you're right. It is a slower on-ramp for sure. 
And early on, I wasn't doing business primarily. Well, actually, from the beginning, I was doing business by referral, but those referrals came because of some cold calls. My cold calls looked different. I wasn't on the phone calling people like doing area farming like a lot of people do and, and can make that work. And I wasn't doing open houses for other agents, first of all, because our office didn't offer that that I was at at the time. Uh, and I suck at open houses and I just know that <laughs> I'm an introvert. I I'm the last person you want at your Same open here. House. I'm like, Ooh. so I didn't do it that way, but, um, I had spent time in the mortgage industry previously to this. And so I knew how I knew who I needed to talk to, to start getting some referrals. And for me, I was comfortable talking to banks. Mm. So I'd go into banks and talk to their managers and ask if I could sponsor the next sales meeting, bring burritos and give a real estate update. And by doing that, the referrals came and it's slowly and surely. And then I just started treating those people well. And eventually the referrals came, but it did. It was not a quick on-ramp. And let me speak to something because I had a conversation with somebody the other day and I just told them some stats and they said, you have to tell people those numbers because (laughs) we we're in Denver where the price, you know, average price, Denver Metro just hit like Mm 600,000. So you can sell. 10 homes and hit 6 million in volume. Yep. Well, go back to when Josh started. Josh was doing this for seven years before he was at like five and a half million in volume. So the whole like, I've been trying this for 90 days and it's slow going. Yeah. You know, uh, one of the lines, uh, this was referenced the other day, but don't, don't judge your beginning or beginning by somebody else's middle or somebody else's mm-hmm. end, right? You're just starting. You're not going to sell 50 million in real estate. You've been doing this for 60 days. You know, you've still never experienced a century lock. Right. And, and, so, yeah. and so part yeah. of it is um, a lot of people, you know, with that curve, um, if you're not watching, you know, think of the curve, but right before it starts to move up is where a lot of people quit because they think they're doing something wrong because everybody else is up and to the right and their line is staying flat, but it doesn't go up and to the right for a while. Yeah. And, and 99% of the oh. time. And we see that all the time. And and luckily for us, that's what keeps us in business because so many people do drop right at that point of, of no return, or they came into it with not enough understanding that it's going to take time and that they run out of money. I see yeah. people run out of money all the time in the, in this industry. And, and A, I feel bad for them, but B, it's what keeps the machine going because otherwise it'd be 50,000 real estate agents, right? It'd be this massive thing. So, so in, in looking at how you, you structured it here and in just in our last final few moments, when you, when you looked at it and you said, okay, we're going to, to not necessarily focus on how many homes we sell. We're going to so if you're not setting goals, I guess is what I'm asking. At you, I know you set goals, but if, if you're not setting a target number, how do you guys know from going, you know, adding another 40 home sales or 30 or 20 or whatever it is, is there a target for this year that you measure success with? Or is it the experiences, that, I guess the referrals? What, how are you guys gauging and measuring accomplishment? Yeah. Kevin, I'll let you speak to that one. Uh, um, so, so what we pay attention to, it, it comes down to the numbers that you measure, I think. And so we, we look at the activities that we've committed to doing. And we know if we do these activities, it makes no sense for the business to go backwards. 
if we consistently execute these activities. So a lot of what we look at is, are we doing what we said we're going to do? Um, and then big picture, if you're doing those activities and your business is going under, well, you're doing the wrong activities or you're doing them really, really poorly. But I think after 14 years, we feel like we're doing the activities and can do them well. So we're doing the right things. So we pay attention to a lot of, you know, what different people call lead measures, the actual activities that you need to commit to doing. And then we just know based on the outcomes. And if we do those reasonably, we have certain expectations. The business shouldn't shrink. Um, but last year, you know, last year when we grew by 40 homes, we did the same thing we had done the year before. We just had more people and more time on task, more chances for repeat business. People lived in homes longer. There's more opportunities for sellers. So some of it just snowballs in that regard. But that's fundamentally, that's what we pay attention to in a really big way. Um, are we doing, are we doing the activities that we've committed to and let's so, outcomes so you, take care of themselves? If you put a word on it, then for 2021, your guys' main goal is. <laughs> I'm going to say execution, but I'm the systems okay. guy. Josh, Josh is the work culture guy. I don't know. Yeah, I think, and I honestly think that's the beauty of what we've got because we balance each other out. Uh, I will We'll have a goal, and I think we just said in our last meeting, uh, we're shooting for a hundred homes this year. Perfect. Um, and so that's it's the, the goal. path that's on what, what you, it's the path on what you take to get there that I think is yeah. the most. And but and so I'm going to be paying attention to that goal, but it's I'm not primarily looking at that. I'm primarily looking at throughout the year. Am I still enjoying what I'm doing? Right. Is Sarah glad that her husband works for Rage? Mm. Mm. Wow. I don't care if we hit 150 deals. If that's not true, I don't want to do it. It's just, that's not why we set out to do this thing. Um, so those are the sorts of questions that I'm asking. Yes. Goals matter. Yes. You need to have something that you're shooting for. I totally agree with it and we're better for it. Um, but the things that drive me are bigger than how many homes. Does that make sense? It does. It does completely. And I think, I think that'll, that, for for certain personalities are going to be like i get it give i'm with you and then some people are going to be like wait what so you don't have like an exact number <laughs> and you know everybody knows me i'm like you've got to break it down to the formula like i'm a formula like you want this you do this you get this and um and i just love the fact with as i said in this business there's so many different ways to do it it's just you've got to make sure it's holding true to what you believe in but what, what I think people want to make sure they hear as we close this out is you still adhered to a model, right? You mm -hmm. followed yeah. a principal model that really helped change things. Was that brokerage? Was that Buffini? Was that like, can you speak just for one last second here with us on just, was there a model that you go, Hey, we're going to kind of attach ourselves to this program. And then we sprinkled our special dust on, on top of it. Yeah, for us, it really, I mean, you can see in our numbers, the trajectory shift when we joined Keller Williams. Gotcha. Um, and we said before, we were at Remax previously to that. And we, Kevin and I both said before coming to Keller Williams, if we do this, we're going Keller Williams all the way. In other words, like, we're not going to look around and say, well, these systems are dumb. Let's do it ourselves. <laughs> we're going to figure out. I remember at an early class that we went to by a top producer, he said, I don't care if you want to make this model your own. You just got to master it first. Mm. Master the model first, and then you have freedom to tweak it. Gotcha. And so, uh, which is hard that, to give yourself to sometimes, right? Yeah. So, the millionaire real estate model 
millionaire real estate agent model is something that we committed to and said, okay, this, this, our framework can fit right into this really well. Um, they're saying that this works. Let's see if it works. <laughs> That's, I love <laughs> and it. it. And it worked. So, I love yeah. it. Yeah, it takes it takes a lot of trust. Well, well, thank you both for joining us. Uh, really appreciate your time. Now, Kevin, you were saying uh, we have a class coming up next week that agents can join and learn more about this. It's going to be next Wednesday. Um, can you give us just a few tidbits about what we're looking at there? And then I'll put all the information out to everyone and where they can find it. Sure. Yeah. I think, I think what we're going to talk about in that class is a deeper dive into putting some meat on the bones of what we've talked about here. Cause a lot of people want, they like the idea of referral based business, but it's like, what do you send in your emails? How often do you send emails? What do you say in your phone calls? What do your appointments look like? How do you practically speaking, if you're a high trust, low pressure, high customer service, raving fans business, how do you actually do that in such a way that you don't feel like you're descripting people to death and selling your soul? Um, and so we're going to, we're going to talk a lot about that and make it as practical as possible for somebody, whether they just got their license the day before, or honestly, I mean, whether you sold a thousand homes, uh, hopefully, hopefully there'll be some really practical takeaways. Um, and if you don't like it, you know, it's free. You, you get what you pay for. <laughs> you, you can go. always, you there can always go. go take a different class. No, I've been to your classes. <laughs> They're amazing. Anybody that has the, uh, that are lucky enough to attend it will really get something out of it for sure. So, so Josh Larson, Kevin Root, Rage Real Estate. So for everyone listening out there, go check them out. Go to the website, um, you know, you know, dial into what they're doing. And remember that you can be a real estate agent in this business and still be a great person, not a good person, but a great person and be honest with your time and how you deal with clients and and really build this, this raving fan um company culture that people just gravitate towards. And it's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be sexy, but you can do it. Uh, these guys are living proof. And the big takeaway from this too is leverage. They added 40 probably ish home sales by just taking one simple thing and going, look, we've got to add a leverage point here to really help us grow because we can't be in 55 places at one time. And have a quality life and have wives that love us, have kids that know us, all of those things. So hopefully you got those two big takeaways. Guys, can't thank you enough. And to the general public, if you're looking for the best in the business to buy or sell a home with, please reach out to these two gentlemen from Rage Real Estate. Guys, I'm so honored to have you on. Thank you so much. You can join us every Thursday. Uh, where we're releasing a new episode talking to the best in the business. Subscribe to the podcast. Check out our YouTube channel. Join our private Facebook page, which is Brendan Bardick Real Estate Coaching. It's a private group for the best and most elite real estate agents on earth. Drop us a comment. Share this with someone else that could use this information. And as always, I wish you great success. Mm -hmm.